had to be you. Is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. I'm in love with Could you. make me be true. Snap out of it. Could make me be true. The magnificence that comes out of your eyes and your voice and the way you stand there and the way you walk. You're lit from within, Tracy. It had to be you. Wonderful you. It had to be you. Hello, romantics. Welcome to A Pod to Be You, the talk film society podcast that's all about falling in love on the big screen. I'm your host, Manish Mather, and... Um, continuing the sports romance miniseries that's been a lot of fun. Um, now talking about uh, a movie that I think has become a major, uh, major classic in the subgenre and definitely a, a beloved movie for many years. Um, and that is uh, Ron Shelton's baseball rom-com erotic comedy, sex comedy, uh, Bull Durham, starring Susan Sarandon and Kim Robbins and Kevin Costner. It's a uh, yeah, quite a steamy film, um, and I'm, I'm really excited to welcome back my guest, who was on an episode way back in 2020 for uh, 27 Dresses, um, and that is uh, Danny Bowes, film critic for publications such as uh, Ebro.com and The Village Voice. Welcome back, Danny. Thanks for being here. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, um, I'm excited to talk about this movie because it's definitely one that, uh, yeah, I, I've enjoyed watching and I think we'll enjoy talking about. But do you um, remember the first time you saw Bull Durham? Can kind of what was that like for you? Well, um, the first time I saw this was uh, in the theater when it first came out. Um, I was far too young to grasp the the nuances of especially the uh the 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 romance and the sex comedy aspects of the movie i was just there as a dorky little kid baseball fan and people were talking about this is the best baseball movie that's come uh, for a while and you know I, I, suffice to say like uh, uh, it was a, an eye-opening experience uh, for me at, at 10 to see it and um but i mean i uh, what I understood of it, I absolutely loved. And I've revisited the movie dozens of times over the years. And it's been just an, uh, just an endless source of like extra nuances and levels that I didn't pick up. Like once I actually learned how to read, like, you know, all of the, um, you know, like Walt Whitman and William Blake uh, references started to pop. Yeah. And, you know, it's like once I actually start, I found out what music was, the Edith Piaf references start popping. And, you know, it's just an endless delight and really it's it just an exquisite written movie about what it means to love something and someone and so you know given any opportunity to talk about this movie i'll jump at it so here we are <laughs> yeah yeah um i didn't see this movie until the 2020 lockdown um so i mm. it was one of those movies that i like had heard of a lot um growing up and it always feeling it seemed so adult to me and it seemed very um, I didn't really understand what the title meant, you know, so it's kind of like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, like, I, I don't think I knew Durham, like what that was back then, you know, and like, you know, 25 years ago, right. and, you know, and I was like, what does that mean? And I thought of the characters, I don't know, the movie seemed boring to me, but uh, I think it entered the Criterion Collection not too long ago. Um and so that was my first kind of like, okay, this might be a movie that's like worth watching. And it was on, I think I saw it on the, either I saw it on the Criterion channel or I saw it on um, HBO Max. Uh, or I guess it might've been HBO Go back then. But um, yeah, so I finally watched it. I, I really enjoyed it. And the the baseball stuff kind of went over my head, but I appreciated the, the character dynamics and all that. Um, but um yeah i it's i watched it again and somehow it felt like a whole new movie to me watching it this time for this episode there's a lot that i had forgotten about it and there was a lot that um 
really stood out to me, but what was something that kind of stood out for you as like a new observation or something you picked up on uh, when you watched it recently? Um, well, I've gotten to the point this time where like major new revelations are sort of, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's revisiting an old friend at this point. But I mean, the thing that um, one revelation that I had after seeing it multiple times that really jumped out was that the um, and this was in response to another podcast where a couple of sports guys were kind of being very bitchy about the how naturalistic the baseball scenes were yeah like in a very kind of missing the point kind of way like and i was just getting angrier and angrier listening to them so i was like yeah yeah i'll show you assholes i'm gonna rewatch bull durham and i'm gonna tell you about what a great nuance masterpiece you know it's like you know because Right, I'm right. prone to I'm I'm prone to emotionalism, um. Yeah. But you know, so I go back and I rewatch the movie, and I'm just like, oh yeah, it's great. Those guys are idiots. Um. But the thing is that, you know, like what their main point of contention was that, like Tim Robbins's pitching motion in the movie doesn't look like a real baseball pitcher's pitching motion, which is true. But it's also kind of beside the point because it. The whole point of him, the whole point of Nuke Lelouch is that he is a holy fool. He's a goofball. He's a figure of ridiculousness. And it actually does sort of work for him that he does not look like a real baseball player. Like he's the sort of person who somebody so deep in the steeped in the tradition of the game, like Costner's character, Crash Davis, would, you know, look at this guy and just be like, this guy's a fucking clown, you know, and mm -hmm. So, I mean, that really does kind of like add to it in a way uh, to me. But it's also it's like it's an object lesson in. The particulars matter less than the essence, which I think like in a romantic film like this is a much better kind of way of contributing to that larger point than like incredibly hyper focused literalism. Which is, you know, like love doesn't make any sense. L romance doesn't make any sense. Like you'll fall in love with somebody who, you know, it's like, oh, this is bad for my life to be in love with this person yeah. and to not be able to just flip the switch and turn it off because it's a force greater than reason. So, you know, in a way, having like the literal details of baseball be fuzzy, like the character who appears in it, um, you know, the clown prince of baseball, that guy who's in those couple of early scenes uh, who, you know, like both Crash and Annie both, you know, like know him from back in the day. Like that guy is like a real guy who basically more or less had that job in minor league baseball, but like 30 or 40 years before, like he would he'd long since been retired by the time they made the movie, but like he was a real figure. They bring him back and it's like, okay, so this guy isn't literally active at the time the movie's being set. Oh, that's a flaw that it, it dismissed this whole movie. It doesn't care about details. And it's like, no, the details don't matter. Yeah. The love matters. The romance of the game matters. And that aspect of it is captured absolutely perfectly in the movie. It's like, I mean, I know like I'm probably going to go out on a, a limb here and say I'm probably a bigger sports fan than than you are from. Oh, from yeah, the for sure. Of things. Yeah. 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 So so I won't, you know, so if, if you don't mind, you know, sort of like taking what I say about the sports stuff, like on faith, I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, yeah. It's like it's, I'm not saying it's like, oh, I'm absolutely right. But it's like, this, yeah, yeah. but you know what I'm saying? Th this movie, it, like there is a romanticism to baseball that like writers have been trying to get at and articulate like since it started, like the the Whitman quote that ends the movie. I think like he. I think like Roeder said that like after there had only been major league baseball for like five years or something like that, like it was a really long time ago, but the sport already had like this hold over people. It's like, what does it mean? It's something integral to the American character, but what does it mean? And you know, that's cut both ways over the years. Like it's been integral to the American character in both good and bad ways over the years. Like the, um, some of the, uh, you know, like the struggles that the sport, of baseball had with race were, you know, sort of like, you know, 
mirrored, uh, you know, the, the problems that the country as a whole has has had with it. But the, you know, the romantic appeal of it, like just this, the, the mysticism of it and the romance of it have been things that people have been, you know, struggling to articulate since Walt Whitman and Bull Durham came along in 88 and got it just about as close to a definitive statement about the romanticism of baseball that any work of literature or, you know, work of, you know, like uh, any movie, any, you know, anything like that, like that, this is about as close as you're going to get to understanding the romance of baseball. So even if you haven't watched a complete baseball game ever in your life, you still understand it if you understand this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's... Sorry if that was a bit grandiose, but... No, I mean, just, no, yeah. I, I appreciate it because I think this movie captures something that I find really interesting about baseball. Um, like, I remember when I was a kid, I used to always hear, like, baseball is, like, America's pastime, you know? And I always wondered, like, what that meant because I'm like, it's not the only sport that's popular here in America. Like, I think football right. and, and basketball and you know, I, those are like these three are like the main ones. But like, why is baseball the one that feels the most like famous? Um, like, what's so like American about baseball? And I, I think that there's an element of like, I think you're right of like romance and mis- mysticism to it that I really can't quite explain or capture. And I think this movie really does capture that um, in terms of how um you know there's this like the superstition of it the like the slow pace of it the um you know like the sort of long summer evenings of it it you know these things feel so romantic and so like wholesomely american and then you put in this like the, the like love story part of it and there's just something about like um you know i, I I I really can't explain like this this movie as much as I would like to, you know, because it just feels so like it's it's such a strange movie. I mean, you have like Susan Sarandon as this like poetry quoting baseball groupie sex shaman, you know, and then <laughs> it's like you say it's pretty I, good I, description I, actually, yeah. It's like so it's so weird and like um but it's like it just it fits i feel like this fits more with baseball than it would with any other sport and i think baseball just has that quality to it or that reputation to it um that feels like it has this like you know maybe because like you watch baseball and you're just like locked in for six hours or whatever and it just like takes that hold over you more so than like other sports yeah, and it's also like yeah. that status that it has of being America's pastime and all that is like it's it's it is at this point to you know if even the biggest baseball fans will admit this it it is sort of a historical relic at this point because I mean you know you you're exactly right talking about football and basketball like football's been more popular than baseball for about fifty years I mean the NBA has been more popular than Major League Baseball for about thirty. So, but, you know, the fact that it's sort of it's it's peak being in the past sort of deepens the romanticism of it. Like it's something that like because it already is, you know, and nostalgia has always been like a big thing with baseball also. And and that's only deepened as it's gotten, you know, that far in in into the past. And if anything, I think that increases the like uh, kind of emotional heft of a movie like bull durham over the years because it was already in 88 talking about a game whose glory days were behind it um and now that that's you know continuing even more so the fact that it already was you know kind of looking backward into the past kind of deepens its emotional hold now and yeah, because it's just populated by all of these characters, like pretty much everybody who appears in the movie is in love with baseball to some degree or other and yeah. in their own unique personal ways. You know, it's like, 
you know, you've got uh, Susan Sarandon's character, Annie, who, you know, sleeps with a different player each season. And then there's the superstitious uh, sort of uh, thing going with it that each of those players has the best season of his career, which is, again, one of those nice little like poetic, non-literal touches in it, because it's like that's the sort of thing it wouldn't happen in real life. This is why movies are better than real life. You know, it's why baseball is better than real life. Yeah. Um, You know, and then you've got Sarandon sort of, you know, kind of junior partner in the uh, uh, sleeping with players. And she is so in love with the game. She falls in love with and marries a player. You know, you've got Costner, who's the oldest minor league baseball player in recorded history. Who's just hanging on because he doesn't know anything else and he just can't let go. And his sort of arc as a character over the course of the movie where, you know, he's introduced being given his last chance in professional baseball. Like he's been Mm -hmm. demoted a couple uh, levels down in the minor leagues uh, to for the express purposes of, you know, kind of mentoring and tutoring uh, Tim Robbins, character, Nuke Lelouch. And he realizes as they're giving him the speech, it's like, yeah, this is this is this is the end is near. But he just desperately doesn't want to believe it and pushes it off as far as he can. And then when, you know, Nuke gets promoted to the majors towards the end of the movie, they have the talk with Crash and it's like, yeah, it, it's over. You know, it's he's it, and it's like that push in on Costner's face as he's being realized these over and he's got that black eye from, you know, like the seed before where he gets punched and it's like that yeah. push in on his face as he realizes it's over. It's just sort of like, it is so heartbreaking because it's like, this is all he's ever known. This is all he's ever loved. This is who he is. And it's, you know, it's coming to an end. Yeah. I mean, that's always the thing about um, like for, for professional athletes that you cut, you age out of the game, but then like, yeah, like what do you do? And I, I, and you're so young when you age out of the game, too. It's like when yeah. you're an ancient, you're a fossil getting ready to, you know, for the glue factory, you're fucking 36 years old. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like that's not an old person. You know, I mean, I say that desperately as somebody who's a bit older than that now. It's like, no, 36 is still young. What the hell are you people doing? You're insane. But it's just like it's just that level of physical performance that's required of you to be a professional athlete. It's like. I mean, you know, baseball players think they have it bad. Like esports players are over the hill when they're 24. You know, it's like it's like because you can't play video games with the kids anymore. So it's like, I mean, it comes for everybody. Time comes for everybody. Well, uh, Kevin Costner was 33 when this movie comes out. Um, he was. Oh, yeah. Oh, damn. Sorry, Kevin Costner. Um, no, I mean it's just funny because I'm 34 and he feels oh, so yeah. me in this movie, but he's actually younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's true of what you're saying. Um, and uh, yeah, I I find that this movie is kind of interesting and in how it kind of deals with that topic of you know aging. Um, when you have someone like a young you know hotshot player versus like the old um, you know the old veteran, I guess. And I think what's really interesting about these two characters is like you know, this, it's that they, you know, Kevin Costner kind of has to, you know, teach Nuke how to like respect the game in a sense. And, you know, like one of my favorite, you know, points in the movie is at the end when, you know, Nuke is giving that interview and he kind of recites the same lines that were fed to him earlier. And it's like, you kind of have to, you know, like, like these old guys kind of have to teach like the young guys just like how to actually like, play the game and not just you know you know not just play well but like respect and love the game and even like as you know uh tim robbins and Susan Randon like are dating but they have to go through this like you know dry spell to you know, inc- you know to keep the winning streak it's like a really you know it's like that's like such a like learning moment for him to like put his own wants and needs you know, behind kind of what's best for the team. Well, and also just watching the struggle that Robbins has with controlling his impulses and being mature. Yeah. 
like how vividly it, the struggle reads on his face. He's like, no, I, I, I know my dick is hard, but I, I shouldn't do this. I was yeah. told that I shouldn't do this because I have to be mature. And it's this beautiful, it's this funny, beautiful moment with this, just this young meathead trying so hard to think. Yeah. And, and, and you're just like rooting for him. You're like, yes, process that thought. You know, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like, you're like, you can do it. You know, it's almost like you're watching him round third and head for home. You know, it's like, you're thinking, yes. Right. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, along that line, when you mentioned that last scene at the end, when uh, nukes in the majors and he's being interviewed in TV and he's, you know, recycling all of the things that Costner told him when he taught him his cliches earlier, which is, you know, time-honored tradition in sports of like athletes don't want to say anything controversial but they can't refuse to talk so they have to be boring they have to be willing to talk and boring so that the reporters won't feel that they're stonewalling them but they also won't get in any trouble but he can't help himself because in that whole thing of like you know reciting all the cliches that costner taught him there's the one of the most beautiful lines i've ever heard in any movie when he's getting to the end of the whole thing, it's like, you know, a guy once said, this is a simple game. You throw the ball, you catch the ball, you hit the ball. Sometimes you win. Sometimes you lose. Sometimes it rains. <laughs> Think about that for a while. And it's like, it's, yeah, it's the the greatest meathead poetry moment in the fucking history of art. I mean, yeah. it's, just like, it's like, it's such a beautiful phrase. You know, it's like, because that's life. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, sometimes it rains. You know, it's like think about that for a while. <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, you gotta, <laughs> yeah. You gotta lie. I'm sorry I'm cursing so much, but I can stay no, caught up in this, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So I, I do want to talk about um Susan Sarandon's you know uh character in and performance in the movie because it's so funny because I was thinking about that like cliche of like um of, like these like women who are you know they kind of pick a boy every year and just kind of you know like that's and, like everyone kind of knows the, the reputation and stuff but I think in this movie like it doesn't feel like her character doesn't feel like gross or um like sexist or anything at least not in my opinion it feels kind of like it starts off in that cliche, but it's such a well-rounded, interesting character who like is very surprising and has a lot of, um, has a lot of depth to her. Even if at first you're just kind of like, Oh, she's just a groupie. Like groupies is such a like bad connotation, but I feel like she is such a fascinating character. And, and I really like, I love how the love triangle is portrayed in this movie of just like, Oh yeah. Um, this sort of slow realization that, um, you know, like she's meant to be with and one guy while she's trying to date another one. It's just like really, I found it is actually really like subtle in how they've developed that attraction to each other. It wasn't oh, like, yeah. overt. It like, it almost sneaks up on you. And I found that to be really refreshing in how they portrayed that. Because yeah, it, because you're absolutely right that it's handled very subtly, uh, and because you don't really pick up. Sometimes, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe somebody picked this up the first time they saw the movie. I didn't really pick up on this until rewatching that they set up in that very first scene at her house that it is absolutely clear that the OTP, you know, is Annie and (laughs) rather than Annie and nuke, you know, it's like they establish it, but, but very elegantly, like very subtly, like they do not hit hit you over the head with it because, you know, crash gives you that whole speech in which also hilariously he says, I believe Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone, which, you know, fast forward a couple of years in Kevin Costner's filmography, that becomes a laugh line, Um, JFK, (laughs) uh, you know, (laughs) but, you know, he leaves at the end of that thing. And you'd say, if you're just watching the movie, it's like, all right, you know, he just, you know, sort of said some shit and walked out, but it's like the way that it's shot, the way that it's cut, it's like the looks, the two of them are giving each other. It's like, Oh, which, you know, makes it funny that Robbins and Sarandon were the ones ending up being the real life couple because Costner and Sarandon are the ones with all the chemistry in the movie. And that's real movie star shit, you know, 
I mean, because the two of them are just so forceful in the fact that it's like these people are I mean, they may not be in love, but they are attracted to each other. You know, it's like real chemistry going on. Yeah. And um, there is one part where I think like Kevin Costner is like, we can't like, I don't want to be with you because if you're the type to be attracted to him about Tim Robbins and right. I think that kind of like, I think that such a like that line really kind of like broke my heart because it's like, um, he's misinterpreting her or like misunderstanding her, and is feeling very like hurt that like she would go for like the flashy young guy as opposed to him. I found that to be a really sad line, um, and it really it is. I think yeah. I think what I think what you're kind of hitting at is that like they have this chemistry, they have this thing, but she kind of has to choose the wrong guy first, you know, to kind of see who she and it's also to be with. Yeah, it's also like he accuses her of preferring Newt because he's scared. She's scared of something real with Crash when. Yeah. He's telling on himself with that line because that's what's true of him. He's scared of his attraction to her because he thinks it might be real because he's like, no, nah, I'm a ball player. I travel around town to town and everything like that. I can't be in love with this like dope smoking college professor in Durham, North Carolina, you know, who listens to Edith Piaf and you know, like yeah. has candles all over her house. No, <laughs> I'm a baseball player. That, that this shit's you know, you know it's like it's like I don't know about this hippie bullshit you know it's like yeah but it's like he's in he's in love with her it's a thunderbolt it's love at first sight it's a romantic comedy it's the kind of love that people fall in in romantic comedies it's why we watch these movies man because that's just that's the best thing you know I think my favorite scene in the movie I mean obviously it's probably one of the most famous scenes of the movie but it's when um she goes over to his house and they kind of have their little screwball argument saying William Blake about a thousand times. <laughs> yeah, that's that's um, so funny. And I, my favorite part of that, of course, you know, William Blake, I, it's just for the reason that name just becomes so funny the more they repeat it, even though it's a very common yeah, it's name. It's like a Meisner exercise. Like yeah. the more you say it, it just becomes something else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my favorite part is when he's like, do you even have a job? And the reason why I love that is because I was wondering the same thing. And like, this woman has this like gorgeous house. I mean, it's a you know typical '80s house, I guess, but it has a lot of really cool artifacts or whatever. And she lives there alone, no sense of like what her income is, who she got the house from, like, did she buy it? Is she rent? No idea who she is as a person outside of her, you know, baseball sex magic practice. Uh, and so well, I mean, that's that, the reason why everybody hates boomers. Boomers used to be able to buy a house for like two hundred and fifty dollars in nineteen seventy three, and then you look at it in the modern day, and it's like that's a fucking mansion. Right. It's like, oh yeah, it cost me three hundred bucks thirty years ago, and that's why you know exactly. anybody born after nineteen seventy <laughs> wants to guillotine the boomers because it's like you fucking assholes have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I like because it's like where does she get the house from? With like teaching part time college class it's like she teaches you used to classes. be able to do that like, yeah yeah oh, oh right yeah the second the second class puts her in the entire tax bracket right i mean yeah like yeah. she's a millionaire it was just so funny um <laughs> but it's like so yeah it's just you know i never i mean since randon like i you know i have she's a little bit of a you know she's a lot of controversy these days i guess but um Oh, uh, yeah. Well, because that was when we were originally supposed to tape this. It was right after she got in all that uh, controversy. She got dropped by her agency and all. Cause yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, I think that what is great about her is that she is so good at um, just like her, the way she just like says her lines. I feel like she always is able to find like the right like twang of like comedy and like um, like her accent is just very funny. I think just like anything she says, just like has that certain, um, I don't know. It's just such a she's like, I, of course, she's a very talented actress. Like no one needs me to say that, but I was really noticing just like how she like really finds different ways to like 
say her lines but like and just like her accent is just so it's like believable but also like over the top and really like kind of charming in a way and i really i think her performance oh, yeah. really stood out to me in in this watch is like i mean of course like of course she's susan Brandon, like she's you know one of the greatest but um i was really just taken taken aback by her and kind of won over by her oh yeah i mean she is uh, unbelievable in this movie um and it, th- that's the thing you know it's like when you mentioned her accent that was always something that's kind of uh, like stuck with me over the years with her too because i think she's from um like in real life i think she's from like new jersey or upstate new york or something like that. definitely the north but in so many movies she's done her accent falls into this very easy kind of either plains or southern twang like you said it's like there's this i guess just sort of like innate twang to her voice that is just sort of more kind of cosmic than than literal or something because she plays midwesterners and southerners so well um and it's also something she hasn't gotten nearly enough credit for over the course of her career and it's why it's like um not to get into this whole can of worms but you know it's like it took her entirely too long to finally get a, a, an oscar yeah was that she was one of those actors who i don't think anybody ever took her craft seriously because if, i mean for the two main reasons one is that she's uh, you know mind-bogglingly beautiful and the other being that she makes it look too easy and actors who make it look too easy uh, people uh, mistake that for oh they're not doing anything or they're just playing themselves and it's like there's you know an uh, there there is just a wonderful cra- uh, just like moments of craft going on in this performance um i mean i think this is you know in in my estimation whatever that counts for this is the best performance she ever gave in her career was this one i mean and it's not like it's the the others were all bad. There are a lot of good ones uh, in the filmography, but I mean, this was a role that could have very well been written directly for her. But you don't know whether that was the case or whether she played it so perfectly, you know, so it's like all of that, you know, the subtlety of craft that she's not, you know, getting nearly enough credit for. I mean, I think you just have to look at that. Every single element of uh, this performance is just, I mean, sublime really i mean it's like it's just one of the great movie star performances that's also skilled acting it's not just the charisma isn't the only thing that's going on but it enhances augments and sort of like reciprocates with the with the craft yeah um i uh i, I totally agree with everything you're saying um she was she like looks southern like or like midwestern like she doesn't look like she was born in like new york new jersey know, it's, <laughs> like yeah it's, it's weird so yeah, yeah, it's like yeah. She, was, she was born in jackson heights i just looked it up which is one of my favorite neighborhoods in 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 new york city that, damn, um, that is wild. Yeah. and then she moved to new jersey when she was a you know a child but like, she that's why i was like thinking it. jersey thinking, yeah, yeah. But she, like i guess I'll, like for all intents and purposes like she grew up in new jersey according to wikipedia but okay um which i was just reading and uh I also just found out that Tim Robbins directed her Oscar-winning movie, which I didn't know. Dead Man Walking. Oh yeah, right, um, right, right. They were yeah. yeah, they were halfway into their relationship during that. Um, so good for them. Um, yeah, good that's, for them. That's, it's always it's very you know John Cassavetes, I guess. Uh, you know we love that. <laughs> um, but she yeah. just like has that look, and like um, I think another scene that I really love is when she's trying to seduce uh, Tim Robbins' character, and like kind of like swings her leg onto the table and she's like unhook my <laughs> stocking or whatever or garter i guess and it's just like it would be so ridiculous but it's just so like she makes it work and it's so like she's so in control of her character and her body and her the relationship between um you know these two men oh and, yeah like, these things which should seem a little like you know like so kind of like ooh, male fantasy but it's like she makes it work and you know i think yeah those scenes are the movie star test yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and um yeah it's just so like she's so unapologetic and i just really appreciate that i mean even when she's like 
Um, another really great line is um, so in one of her voiceover where she's like, the boys are sweet enough to let me read them poetry, even though that's not why they stay or something like that. And it's yeah, it's like, like, well, a guy will listen to anything if he thinks it's foreplay. Yeah, exactly. It's such a good line. <laughs> and it's so true. My gosh. Um, I mean, yeah. I and then the, ne- the scene where Robbins goes in and he's just like, he looks like a truck ran over him and Robert Wool, Robert Wool of all people uh, turning a career best work um, <laughs> going down. It's like, yeah, yeah. So is it, is it true? Is she good? as they say, and he's like, man, we didn't fuck. She <laughs> just read poetry to me all night. It's more tiring than fucking. It's just like the, way, the way he's just like the, just the childish, peevish complaint that he didn't get to bust and he just had to listen to Walt Whitman all night. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's so, uh, it's so good. Um, I really want to talk about the cinematography in this movie because, mm. um, you know, like it has that like sleepy, you know, southern town in the summer look to it. That's like a lot right. of beautiful sunsets and and sunrises. Like a scene that I thought was so beautiful, even though it's such a like non scene, but it's when you know they're all the the baseball teams going on the bus to um go on their away game, and she's there saying bye, and it's just like her in front of the bus with Tim Robbins, and they're like saying bye and kissing, and it's just like. The lighting is just so perfect, and I'm like, the scene is so like oh, not. Yeah. It's like it's not like a, the big scene in the movie, but every little scene just looks so gorgeous in terms of its like, you know, North Carolina lighting. Um, yeah, but if you have any thoughts on that, oh sure, yeah. No, I mean, I actually, I mean, you raise a very good point because the the cinematography in the in this picture isn't really like the kind of show off flashy stuff that, you know, that people, when people talk about, Oh, that, that was good cinematography, you know, it's like, the, yeah, this is a lot more subtle and, you know, uh, serving the text rather than, you know, uh, ostentation. But I mean, you're absolutely right about like, you know, all of the, I mean, just the look of everything being so grounding it in that sense place. Like you can almost feel the Carolina humidity in some of the scenes, you know, yeah. it's like, and it's weird when you're noticing like how good master shots are, you know, where it's like master shots of the bus, just like going down a road in North Carolina. And you're like, man, I can like, I think a mosquito just bit me, you know, cause it's like right. it grounds it so, <laughs> so nicely. And it's like, and it's also a counterpoint uh, to what I was saying earlier about, um, you know like not worrying overly about naturalistic detail in the baseball scenes the way that the visuals ground everything naturalistically in the world like helps um kind of cushion the alienation that like the non-naturalistic elements might have and just Mm -hmm. sort of like kind of just you know it just creates the world of this nice like you know humid southern world that these people are just sort of like yeah it's the summer it's a little too hot to move too fast Let's go to the ball game just sort of like laid back kind of vibe yeah and the way that yeah like the 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 colors grounded very nicely in that but also just like the nice kind of gentle almost leisurely um you know pans and tilts and stuff like the camera moves are all very unhurried you know which fits the tone very nicely with this because it's like baseball is not the sport if you need excitement you know, I mean, it's, yeah. you know, the appeal is literally the opposite for people who are, you know, hopeless baseball fans. Right. It's like it's because you want to spend those four hour summer nights just sort of like not really moving and kind of just kind of chilling out. And it's like it's a nice, you know, integration of, you know, like camera movements with the literary text, like having them have that similarly laid back leisurely uh, vibe uh, to them. So, yeah, and it's like that was, you know, and again, something you're saying earlier, this didn't occur to me when you brought this up earlier. One thing that I did notice on a, a couple recent uh, rewatches that I've done, I rewatched this once or twice a year. You know, it's like it, yeah, okay. I, 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 I didn't have to, like, go out of my way you right. know, to prepare for this. But, right. um, you know, the, the the subtlety of the visuals, you know, is like it's it's you know they're not at odds with you know it's like it's just it's all this very kind of warm comforting embrace 
like as the 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 way that it's visually put together Mm -hmm. you know much like baseball itself much like romance the other things like everything is connected and intertwined and almost like you know the seams on a baseball like going around the ball you know it's like it's you know when you can break it down to like that level of kind of like signifier it's like you know that even if the yeah like the the filmmaking isn't jumping out and hitting you over the head it's still very much there and it's utterly amazing that this was his first picture as writer director like i mean it's like this is like people just don't make movies this rich and just just connected and holistic their first time out of the box like that's insane that this is ron shelton's first movie that he ever directed yeah yeah do you have any like that's nuts yeah <laughs> you know it's perfect like he hit it out of the park on the first pitch to coin a phrase <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i mean like do you have any like kind of like like i mean can you grasp just like how confident like i mean like how to make a movie this confident for your first movie like i just can't like i mean like okay yeah we've seen that a few times like of course like jordan peele recently greta gerwig but like i'm just like i can't I just like, can't imagine like to have this like to balance this tone of like sex comedy, but it's a very earnest romance, and it's like about this like ba- baseball like mystical superstition. You know, it's just like all these disparate elements that just he r- was able to really capture, you know, together and to make this like extremely entertaining, funny movie that also has beautiful visuals and also has great use of music and has. You know, it's just like all these different things are just like really working together in a package that feels so like it feels very like Hollywood in the 80s, but also like timeless, you know, like this movie could come out today, come out in the 1950s, like, but I don't know, it's just like, it's such a, it's such a like perfect package. And so in every sense to me. Yeah, and it's uh, you mentioned the timelessness, and that is really, I think, one of the keys to the enduring appeal of the movie um, Mm -hmm. is that you know the the signifiers as to when it is set are sort of spread out in like ironically kind of a realistic way because you know it's like you'll see some movies that uh, like this is a problem with a lot of modern period pieces is that like you'll see an establishing shot where everything in the scene is from the exact same year. And that's not the way the world looks or ever has looked. You know, it's like in the the Durham, North Carolina of the of this movie, you know, people drive old cars like the bus that the team goes on road trips on is like mm-hmm. not a new model bus, to put it mildly. And like yeah, Annie yeah. drives this ancient car that could have been from like I don't know, Lana Turner movie, you know, or something like that. Um, And the, the way the, the baseball players sort of um, manifest themselves in the way that, the the way that, you know, it's like, it's, they're not all hyper modern eighties guys. Like some of them seem like more like seventies ball players. Not that this is going to, I'm sorry to go down this uh, sports autism thing again, but like, you know, just like that, like, um, You know, like some of the the baseball guys are like, you know, very, you know, like 50s or 60s. Some of them are 70s. Some of them are 80s. You know, it's like there's there's a spread of time that, you know, and again, in like kind of like a laid back way, like it kind of prevents you from pinpointing it to any one particular moment that could drag it down into literalism or that could spoil the romance. I mean, it's like and again, coming to finish the circle back to the timelessness that you point out which is like one of the things that makes it so just sort of like comforting and kind of like uh, nourishing to watch is there's that sense of like you know it's not difficult to watch this movie it's like it's very comforting like it's it's an embrace rather than a challenge yeah yeah i totally agree um Actually, one part of me that did not really quite work for me was is this like kind of like barely there subplot with one of the players and another kind of baseball groupie. Oh god, what is her name? Um, Millie. Oh, the Millie subplot didn't really do it for you. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that I first I thought she's trying to become like a 
new version of Susan Sarandon's character. But then right. she, because like she kind of goes to each of the guys and like tries to like hit on them, but then like randomly gets married. But I'm also like this, not played by any any actor that I recognize, not really in enough scenes to kind of make an impact. And I was just kind of like, what's yeah. the, what's the like, what's the take here? What's the vibe? Like, why is this in the movie when it doesn't really add much? And not that it really hurts my enjoyment, but I was just kind of like trying to figure out what Ron Shelton was going for with that and i couldn't quite piece it together um yeah i mean, I mean it is a diversion with it but like sure just, you know oh I mean. no well i mean it, it is a diversion from the main story but i think it also in a way possibly i mean if i can you know sort of get out the tarot cards and start <laughs> like divining intent <laughs> yeah. you know is that what what i uh i think that one likely purpose for that is that it's to prefigure Susan Sarandon's abandonment of the player per season and, you know, settling down with, you know, like mm. the, with the one that it's sort of like uh, foreshadowing that in a way. And, you know, sort of, I, I, we're, we're getting into shakier territory here, but bear with me about, you know, sort of the, the, the unintended wisdom of youth, you know, the younger, you know, the protege sort of gets the point before the, stu- before the, the teacher does, mm-hmm. you know, cause she is trying to bring Millie along with her and be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, being a baseball groupie, baseball has groupies, you know, blah, 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 you know, um, sure. I will be your, you know, like a, uh, you know, like mentoring figure. And I mean, I, you know, I, and I'm not saying in any of this, that it's a particularly profound point, Right. But I do think that that could be because, I mean, it is sort of like, I mean, again, like the laid backness of the movie kind of, you know, like giveth and taketh away. And I think, you know, that is sort of I mean, it is a diversion from the main story. And it's sort of like you either buy it or you don't. It does happen very suddenly. It's letting, you know, the kind of conservative religious guy a little bit too off the hook, because especially in sports culture, those guys aren't always wholesome. Like those guys are often, you know, like very poisonous figures in sports culture, but it's like, it's also the laid backness of the movie. It's like, yeah, we're not here to judge anybody. I mean, Hey, maybe some of those guys are all right every now and again. And it's true. Every so often, like a very devout religious person is actually devoutly religious for quote unquote, the right reasons. But like all too often, those guys are out for control and the a framework to boss people around. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, and for all my gushing about the movie, I mean, that's not my favorite part of the movie either. I mean, it right. is sort of just like, you know, like it's a subplot, you know, but um, it is. I mean, like, I'm not going to argue with you at all if you'd say that it sort of like kind of takes you out of the movie a bit because, I mean, and it does, you know. Yeah. I mean it yeah. it it doesn't really but I was just kind of like if we're looking at it from you Well, know, if you're nitpicking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if we're um, looking for the one way in which the movie isn't absolutely perfect, you know, it's like yeah, right. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> um, I mean cuz I guess it's to the testament of this movie that that's like the one thing that I was kind of like, oh, okay, that's kind of something that I'm not quite understanding, but I mean, I think in general, I think this movie, it's like, as we were saying earlier, it's so easy to see why this movie has really, you know, held on for, you know, 30 years or whatever, because almost 40, you know, and it's, um, and it's because it just has, like, it has the charm, it has the romance, it has, like, the hook of this sort of, like, baseball, you know, magic to it, um, plus these great performances. I mean, it's really... um really easy to see how it's kind of endured so long um i've talked a lot of we've talked a, a little bit about this but like what are some of your favorite um lines or, or moments or scenes in the movie that have just kind of like always make you laugh or always you know are always kind of make you think or something like kind of what's always been the you know some favorite moments um this is Maybe not like the, uh, you know, the most, um, 
don't know how to phrase this. I mean, the scenes that 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 kind of stuck with me were um, the it's a it's a repeated sort of uh, refrain in the movie where when um, they have to they have to release a player, they have to, you know, caught a player like, you know, yeah. basically like, you know, this could be, you know, and they go into the manager's office and Trey Wilson, who was. For a while there, when I was a kid, just one of my favorite character actors, he always popped up and everything. And I just loved him, whatever it seemed like he was in uh, Raising Arizona. He was in uh, Jonathan Demme's Married to the Mob with one of the great lines ever. It's like, man, the mafia are a bunch of murderous psychopaths. We work for the president of the United States, <laughs> you know, which even back then I was like, all right, that's Ronald Reagan. <laughs> that's funny. You know, like, you know, because I was a dumbass kid. But um, and then he um abruptly I think like it like died of a brain hemorrhage, like shortly after being in like, they, you know, turning in like a half a dozen great character actor performances and then bam, he's out. He's sort of like the John Cazale of the eighties, I guess, you yeah. know, but he always just had this, uh, you know, even when he was goofing around and being funny, like there was this tragedy to him. Like he had mm -hmm. this ability to handle like, you know, the heaviness and light. So it's like when he, Ask the guy to come into the office and he like lights up a cigarette and he's like, you know, this is the toughest ma job manager. And it's like he's given, you know, just from the moment he starts talking, he's given this speech hundreds of times over the years. He fucking hates saying this, but he just kind of gets through. It's sort of like he's an undertaker almost for these guys careers, because when you get cut from a ball, like you're not a hot market free agent that's going to like sign a big deal somewhere else like if you get cut from a ball you're probably done you know so there's that just that fatalistic kind of thing to it and i don't know whether this is just i've seen the movie too many times so it's like this is what's jumping out rather than all the funny entertaining parts of the movie but like that was just the because the refrain because they have the scene earlier where there's that guy who's kind of an asshole and then he gets cut and he's just like, you see just the pain that even though he's an asshole, you're like, oh my God, I really feel for this guy. His baseball career is over, you know, because he doesn't look that young. Um, and then at the end when he just, and it's, I referenced this scene earlier. It's when that push in on Costner where you hear his, the manager's voice, like basically reading his career, it's last rights um, yeah. over that, like that really kind of stuck with me. And but the, the 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 more entertaining scene that I always loved was when um, like the guys get off the bus at the same time that the figure skaters are getting off of their bus because they come to town at the same time. And, you know, and the horny guys are just like, oh, man, we need a night with those skaters, man. That'll get us right back. They'll fix us up. Right. You know. And then the one guy who's just like not even up for it is like, man, we need a we need a night off to end our losing streak. And Costner walks up and he's like, I can get us a rain out. And all the younger guys are like, what? And he's like, yeah, whatever. He's like a hundred bucks. I can get us a rain out for tomorrow. And they're like, oh, man, this is the easiest money we ever made. And then they cut to them breaking into the ballpark and turning on the sprinkler systems. And then just like running around, sliding around in the mud like a bunch of drunken morons. And I was just like, that is such an expression of pure joy. Yeah. Like, and yeah. it's especially like movies that do the battle of the sexes thing or like lesser movies that try to talk about like, you know, uh, gender norms and shit, you know, like this, uh, oftentimes like they'll take sides. So right. like one side gets the, the full benefit and the other one is sort of like held up for mockery, which is like, whatever, you know, it's like, it is what it is. But like with this, it's like, yeah, this is a movie about big, dumb guys, but it lets them have this moment of just like, big dumb guy heaven on earth which is just like running around in the mud like a little kid yeah yeah you know and it's just it, i just always loved that scene because it's also like costner won the bet you know it's like <laughs> got the marine <laughs> out for the next day <laughs> yeah 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 i feel like um stuff like that is so indicative of a lot of this movie's kind of charms but like I, you're right in that like yeah these are just like big dumb like baseball jocks but they also have like a dignity to them they have like a, a scene i like is when they talk about the wedding present or like the chicken or, or whatever and it's like oh yeah um, that was funny you know it's like but we like it's funny but it doesn't like make fun of them too much um 
because the uh, movie recognizes that they all have souls yeah that's a really important thing it's like everybody's a human being it's like these problems are real it's like the whole team is on the pitcher's mound in the middle of the game trying to figure out what to get them where you know where they're registered or whatever you know yeah yeah i I think i I like that the um the yeah that initial or yeah the that bar scene especially when since randon's like you know calling them out on their like latent homosexuality (laughs) Yeah, that's beautiful, especially um, for the 80s, because 80s yeah. movies used to be like real a lot more uptight about mentioning gay shit than that, which is, you know, yeah, especially one of the reasons like, why whenever everybody goes off about 80s nostalgia, I'm like, eh, you know, it wasn't so great for some of us guys. Yeah. You know? well, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, especially because like, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like their reaction isn't as like volatile or hostile as, you know, I feel like they just kind of like, Maybe Tim Robbins doesn't really understand what that means, but like, oh yeah, there, he doesn't know what this, those like, words major, mean. Like gay panic to that, you know. At least not. That's not how I saw it. Oh yeah, no. Uh, uh, Nuke doesn't know what those words mean, and Crash has read enough books that he's sort of like, yeah, I'm not gonna freak out. I know how to read. You know, (laughs) which is like a weird sort of masculine pride. It's almost like, you know, kind of paradoxically against the typical manifestations of it. But like being enough of a pants on one leg at a time guy that it's like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to freak out over that. Yeah. What am I insecure? You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's such a good line. And, you know, I feel like there's, you know, a version of this movie where it's like a nice little menage a trois, you know? (laughs) Um, well, I mean, in the 2023 version of the movie, like she uh, openly invites them back for a three way. Right. Exactly. Which I mean, you know, they, you know, bless their hearts. 88 weren't ready for that. You know? Yeah. Um, any uh, last last thoughts, last kind of things you want to bring up before we um, finish up here? Well, I mean, there was one thing, and this is a small thing, and it isn't really connected thematically to the point or the thrust of the discussion that we were talking about, but it's one like annoying little trope from 80s baseball movies that like I kind of kind of wish this movie had been better then, but it's like when you were mentioning the scene on the mound where they're talking about like, you know, the way you know, the other problem that they're having on the mound is the the Latin player who of course practices voodoo and he's got like a voodoo curse on his glove. There was weird thing in eighties baseball movies where every single one of them had to have a Latin character who practiced voodoo, which like, and I remember, but like, why is this such a trope and like looking it up and being like, Oh, that it wasn't really a thing, but it was just sort of like a joke. And it was because of like the culture clash of like integrating Latin ball players into, mm. you know, American baseball culture. And it all just for just manifested itself in the hack joke of the guy being Ida Voodoo, which it was always like really it's the one thing that I think if I'm really being honest with the movie, kind of like kind of spoils the kind of uh, the vibes because it's like it the rest of the movie is so has so much nuance and is so like has so many layers and is so literarily astute and emotionally in touch and having this one hack joke that isn't even really grounded in reality it's grounded in other baseball movies was sort of I mean, a little bit of a buzzkill and I and bringing this up at the end, unfortunately, I mean, I'm sorry if that, you know, kind of makes no. this whole, uh, a buzzkill for this whole discussion. But it's oh, I, no. I think it's also just sort of like it's a necessary kind of antidote to my rhapsodizing and romanticizing the movie is that it's like it's not perfect. And you could, you know, then, you know, quip, well, neither is life. But it's also it's like, come on, you can do better than that. But. That is literally like the one problem that I have with this movie. I mean, I just think it's such a wonderfully romantic movie and it's a romantic movie that doesn't kind of pull away from the sexual aspect of love because there are a lot of very sexless romantic comedies that are fine and charming, but, you know, kind of PG-13 and kind of like more aesthetic exercises than getting to the real thrust of what romance actually is which is like i mean yeah it's like it's not all sexual but it is partly sexual and it's like but it's also it's a sex movie that doesn't get gross and forget the romance of it and you know i think that is what makes especially 
the concluding act of the movie so erotic is that it's you know sex with emotion behind it which you don't get in especially exploitative sex movies but you know it's like it's sort of like again like everything all in one you know and i don't know i mean as much as i can recognize the occasional you know kind of, yeah thing here and there especially the you know what i mentioned about the yeah yeah the 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 the, the, the mild unfortunate racism you know it's like but it's like I just love the shit out of this movie. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Like, I just, at the end of the, like, I can't help it. Like, you know, sometimes you fall in love with somebody you shouldn't. I mean, you know, this isn't exactly that, but that is part of the experience. So. Yeah. I mean, I I totally, totally agree. I mean, I think that um, it's so easy to fall under the spell of this movie because it has that sort of like sleepy southern charm to it but it's very it's erotic but it's not too you know like vulgar it's funny but it's not too like cutesy or jokey it's romantic it's witty it's you know tells a really interesting story with a really kind of um you know well done love triangle and um yeah i mean it, it's it's this is like one of those old-fashioned crowd pleasers i mean i hate to i hate to be this guy but like we don't get that many movies that are like this anymore that does that have this kind of have this level of like you know cinematic attention paid to it you know if the movies like this comes yeah. out it's netflix it's full of product placement or it's some you know i don't know it just doesn't it's... there's yeah, we don't get it's not quite. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, but no, 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 I, I was just. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's a movie for adults and yeah. those don't exist anymore. It's like all of those stories moved over to long form episodic TV. Like, if, you know, if Ron Shelton was pitching this now, he it would be a series somewhere. It'd be like, um, I you know, I don't give enough of a shit about the the, the the distinctions between the streamers to know which one this would have likely ended up at it but it would have been like an eight to ten episode series rather than a two-hour movie and there would have been a lot of padding and a lot of bullshit and a lot of you know just all the stuff that you know because when people like defend that migration they're just like oh this still exists it's just on tv and it's like yeah, there's a difference between a 10-hour season of TV and a two-hour yeah. movie. It's like there's a different kind of artistry um, go that goes into, you know, just doing... And it's like, I don't know. I mean, it's easy to get to be like an old guy and just be like, ah, it used to be better. But it's like it was objectively better. That You know, it's like, right. you know, movies did used to have like a different... Just like they were respected more. And you could have, yeah, you get like movies for grownups, like a, 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 as much a historical relic as uh, baseball's uh, uh, stature is America's pastime. Um, yeah. So, yeah, not not to get to I need a drink at the end of the episode, but, you know, it's like kind of you know, it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. I was looking at the box office of this, of this movie and, you know, it cost about nine million dollars to make. Mm-hmm. um and made about if i recall correctly yeah it made about it made about almost six times its budget it was about 50 million dollars and that's i don't know if i i don't think that was that's adjusted for inflation but so it was it nope. was a pretty it was a pretty decent hit you know um and uh but not you know it wasn't making 200 million dollars but it definitely was you know a good a good you know a good money maker and probably a movie that was well liked at the time by critics you know it's it, just like it got know, very good reviews that i remember yeah. it being very popular and in the discourse for a while because i mean granted again like i was a kid but like yeah i even the amount of the discourse that was filtering down to me at that point like people were talking about bull durham for quite a while when it is also movies played in the theaters longer at the time um and it's gone through sort of like waves of popularity with sports fans Mm -hmm. because like i mentioned earlier there are people like those guys who i was you know bitching about who get hung up on the details of how realistic the sports looks which um there's a movie that came out i I think it was like the next year the, the movie major league um that wasn't anywhere near as good a movie as this is it is it is pretty good um 
but the baseball scenes in it were a lot more realistic and like so the, it turned into like a dichotomy between you know the kind of you know, especially like when i was in college and like you know guys arguing about movies and wanting to argue all kinds of false binaries until the cows came home and they were like well what is it bull durham a major league that says a lot about you and i'm sitting there going it's like i can both fuck you you know but yeah. it's like I mean, and, and the other thing that, that kind of is like, yeah, the the uh, the actor in Major League's pitching motion was more realistic than Tim Robbins's in Bull Durham. But you know who that actor was? Charlie Sheen. How's that for a buzzkill? You know, <laughs> like because <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, Charlie Sheen's better at baseball than Tim Robbins. Oh, that makes him a better guy, too, I guess. <laughs> right, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I have a lot. I, I hold grudges dear to my heart. So, no, we, you know, know what? Don't, we love that. don't let me get off on that. <laughs> yeah. No, we love that. Um, well, I mean, Danny, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, talking about this oh. movie that you have a lot of passion for. It's always exciting. Uh, could you oh, please yeah. tell the listeners where they can find you, what you're working on, and anything you'd like them to know? Um, well, I can be found on various uh, dying social media sites. Um, uh, still hanging on to uh, Twitter uh, at at by Bose, B-Y-B-O-W-E-S, uh, which is a pun about bisexuality and authorship. Um, uh, I can be found on Letterboxd at, um, I think, also by Bose, either by Bose or Danny Bose on, on Letterboxd. Um, I have an anonymous Tumblr that I won't be plugging here, uh, but I just figured it would be funny to mention it and not plug it. Um, and I'm writing a novel that the world may never see. Uh, and, you know, just trying to stay, uh, you know, just keep my head above water in the 21st century, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm a ray of sunshine with all of my... Yes, but there's also a darker side to think. It's like, I'm sorry. I'm, to everybody listening to this, I apologize for that aspect and for nothing else. But yeah, nothing else. Um, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Vertigate314. Also, follow the podcast at It's Hot to Be You. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Um, you know, next episode, we're actually continuing with Ron Selton with the great film Tin Cup, uh, my friend. Um, uh, so it's a you know a double run moment and we're excited about that so look out for that uh, thanks Danny and thanks for listening thank you for having me